Howdy, Ags. Welcome back to Aggie Growth Hacks, the podcast sponsored by the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M that is dedicated to highlighting fast-growing Aggie entrepreneurs, learning how they overcame growth challenges with creative growth hacks, and connecting them with other entrepreneurs in the Aggie network. I'm your host, Greg Martin, Fighting Texas Aggie, class of 2001. And I'm your co-host, Chris Hunter, Fighting Texas Aggie, class of 1998. Got a little story for you, Ags. James Benham. Fighting Texas A class of 2001, the best Fighting Texas A class, I might add, is an entrepreneur that has not only built an amazing company and a team, but one that has made it his life's mission to make the world around him a better place. He's a father, husband, podcaster, pilot, and regent at Texas Southern University. So pass it back and listen up to James as he shares some good bull. Let me introduce a man that needs no introduction, but James Benham, Fighting Texas A class of 2001, uh, one of my dearest friends, a man that has has seen me in the best of times and the worst of times, a man that was at, that was in my wedding. Uh, James, thank you oh. so much for uh, for joining us today. I'm gonna ask you in a second what your favorite Aggie memory is. Let's make it let's make it good. Let's make it clean, and you know, let's make sure that these listeners want to come back and don't think I'm you know a tool. So. Welcome, James. And what's your favorite Aggie memory? Thanks, Greg. Yeah, I have known Greg a very long time. Uh, you know, we we walked final review for the last time exactly 20 years ago this week. And uh, it is it is hard to believe it's been that long. Ah, you're old. So I know, right? Uh, <laughs> we are old army. We are the age of the people that when we were cadets, we called old army. Just to- <laughs> <laughs> just, to, just to bring it full circle to you. And uh, yeah, our friends are retiring from the military right now. <laughs> yes. That is so sad. Uh, I, have a, I have a ton of favorite Aggie memories. I love being an Aggie. I love being an Aggie. I loved being a student at Texas A&M. I came here from Louisiana. I escaped the state of Louisiana. So I have a ton of really good ones. The, the one that sticks out really strong, and you know, when you have really strong emotions about something, I'd say there's probably two really big ones that stick out. And 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 you were at both of them, um, not like side by side with me, but you were. I know you were there. The first one was four days into our core experience when uh, we had to air out, air out, <laughs> and yes. and uh, and and I don't know why. You know, looking back, that's such a small part of the of the fish experience. But FOW freshman orientation week in the core is a shocking experience. It was shocking for me. Uh, for sure, and I know I know it is for a lot of folks that I've mentored through the years. And air out is this moment when you realize that you might actually live through it, and uh, you you know everything's going to be okay. You might actually be a student at A and M a few days later, like every, you know, and and you you just start developing this crazy bond with these these other people that you're around. Uh, my fish old lady, I, I had such a good fish old lady, Colin Karinick. And um, he's still in uh, he's still in the Navy. He's about to retire, uh, actually. And uh, he's an intel officer in the Navy. But he he and I, I remember air out. We got our gray um, C two shirts because they wouldn't give them to us until then. And uh, we came back to the room and just like hugged each other and started crying. Like it was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like like we we had no concept of time. They took away our watches and we didn't have cell phones. And, like we just didn't know what was going on. In the world, and uh, and so that was a really special moment. And it was followed up because we had like midnight yell, like the next night or the day or the week after, and it was such an amazing experience. I'd say the other one was our freshman year, the first time I saw bonfire burn because you know we all worked so hard on it. Um, you know, we went out to cut, we went out to stack, and you know, I wasn't like a hardcore bonfire guy, but I went to plenty of stuff. Like if they told me we were going, I was a good fish. We I was I was going right, and um, we worked hard, and and it was amazing. 
it was it was it was incredible to feel the heat coming off that thing when they set it on fire in the fall of 97 and so i think those two really stick out in my mind as um as as big time favorite memories and they were there were both times when I, my, you know, my tears are welling up and i was like oh my gosh this is amazing this place is special there is no place on earth like this <laughs> you know <laughs> That's right. aggie till i die like it was definitely <laughs> there were definitely those moments love it absolutely love it so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh jb jb knowledge and what you do with that yeah uh i started jb knowledge uh my senior year out of my dorm room with uh the initial amount was five thousand bucks, and uh, and <laughs> went to my dad and was like, "Hey, let's start a software company." Because he he had a Teflon company at the time. He told me I could never work for him because he said you have to do your own thing. He goes, "I'll be your partner, but you have to do your own thing. You have to run it because you, you know you'll hate me if you come to my company. You got to build your own business." And so uh, we started out building software and websites for anybody. Over the next seven years, we evolved into only doing enterprise software development for commercial construction and commercial insurance. And you know, found those niches through a lot of amazing Aggies who connected me, and some non-Aggies. Uh, in fact, some LSU Tigers, because I am from Baton Rouge, that 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 helped me meet clients and get introduced into industries I didn't know. Because I got a degree in accounting, right? And I, I never worked at another company. I did two internships at Price Waterhouse Coopers. Didn't like the uh, the big corporate thing. Uh, worked with great people, but it wasn't for me. And so I started JB Knowledge in uh, April sixteenth of two thousand and one. So we just turned twenty as a company. And um, so today we we build software. Uh, we get paid by the hour. We get paid uh, to build uh, enterprise software. Uh, just a lot of hours, right? I have two. I have two hundred and forty-three employees, and we get paid. Uh, we get paid to build software for large insurance companies, uh, carriers, brokers, uh, pharmacy uh, benefit managers, third-party administrators. Uh, you, you name it. We work for a lot of them that uh, that build software. We also had a, a very long run, and still are very involved in the construction industry. We built a product called Smart Bid that was a construction bidding system. A lot of Aggies ended up being clients of, of mine on that because there's a lot of Aggies in construction, and Texas was our stronghold. And uh, I sold that company three years ago, but I kept JB Knowledge. So I kept the core business. I kept the employees. Uh, we sold the code and the product. And a, a very small handful of employees went with the sale because they were salespeople and support people that needed to go with it. So that's kind of what we do today is we build a, we build a lot of proprietary in-house software for insurance companies. And we have a product that uh, called Smart Compliance that does certificate of insurance tracking. And we have another product called Paraclaim that does insurance claims management. So we're still... you know We sell widgets. And we sell time. And uh, we've been doing that 20 years, never raised a funding round, never got investors, bootstrapped the whole thing, had a couple of really small loans, I think, you know, 30, 40,000 bucks for equipment and some other things that we all paid off within a few years. And so it was really that initial seed round of 5,000 bucks that got us off the ground. And man, we're still, still doing it today. I've got an you know, amazing, uh, amazing team here that uh, that's been working with me my leadership team's been with me for 20 years so for you why software why how did you get into i mean literally i mean wh- what was the idea behind that because if you're in in an accounting right major what made you think about building a software company yeah so i started writing code when i was 11 my parents were luddites which means they just didn't like technology at all um <laughs> we had a single rotary phone and we had a single tv with rabbit ears and uh, my dad ran for city council when i was uh, 11 12, somewhere around there. And uh, at school, I went to a magnet and magnet technology and engineering focused uh, middle school and high school. And so they started teaching me computer science when I was like sixth grade, 11 years old, and uh, re- really got into it. Like I was like, and, and I had never touched a computer before that. Like, and it was like fish to water. Like the first time I put my hands on the keyboard, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I, could, and I did not care about games. I was like, I did not care about gaming. It was all about writing code. 
Because once I discovered that you could give a computer instructions, it would do what you said to do. It was like a light went off. And so I just started building software. I built a, a lawn service business when I was 12, where I, I, I had a little racket in the neighborhood. I, I cut everybody's grass and they paid me. I, I made like 40 bucks an hour as a 12-year-old cutting grass. It was fantastic. And... uh but like my favorite thing I did there is I built a I, I wrote a software program to to invoice all my clients when I was twelve, <laughs> <laughs> and it pissed them off. So I had to stop doing it because like one of them yelled at me. He goes, "What twelve year old sends in electronic invoices?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I, and I said, "The twelve year old that's not getting paid because you're late because this guy was late." Oh, good for you. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and I and I collected my money, man. I was mad. I want my money. And uh, and so that that's kind of like how it wound up in software. And I just kept writing code. I just kept writing programs. And I got into science fair in, in high school and I won a bunch of awards. I won the I won the regional science fair, won my school science fair, got second place in the state of Louisiana. And with this application, I wrote an encryption program in 1995. And Greg, you'd like you'd appreciate this. The army and the navy both gave me science awards and they gave me money and calculators and they were like leeches on 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 blood, man. They were like this 15-year-old created an encryption program and then encrypted communications like they were getting i didn't understand at the time why they were geeking out so much i understand right. now <laughs> yeah of course that was also pre 9-11 i mean it's super important always but that was also pre 9-11 mm-hmm. so different different world different world and so that that kind of all that kind of got me really into it and then when i was 16 my high school got a, a, a ultra high speed connection <laughs> A T1, which is one and a half megs a second, but that was very fast at the time uh, from Southern University. And they let the students run the internet service provider. So we actually had a student-run, student-led business when I was 15, 16, 17. And when I was a senior, a friend of mine uh, and I were the co-administrators of this thing. And we had thousands of teachers that dialed up and used the internet through our software, through our system. And so it was it was like so cool. And then I went to AM, majored in computer science, didn't like comp sci. Because they were literally repeating all the stuff I'd done in high school. I was like, man, that's, I want to learn something new. And so I actually changed majors. So you and then change account, do you go to accounting? Yes, because I wanted something new. I wanted to learn how business ran. I'm so glad smart. I did. Yeah. I use accounting every day, man. And I, I got a master's in MIS and it, 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 was, it worked out great. But I learned, I, I learned my coding from Ron Dupuy and, and computer science and, and Scott Lomani in high school. <laughs> and uh, he, was, he, was my, he was my computer science teacher. And then I kept it up. And then my internships, I was writing code. So James, kind of knowing your background, you've, you've obviously seen a lot. I mean, you've been an entrepreneur since the days in the dorm. And and there has been some wild rides, ups and downs in the economy, ups and downs in, in your industry, not to even mention the impact of COVID on, on all of our lives. But in can you can you tell us in the last year, how has your business changed and what's the what's the biggest challenge that you had? And then I'd love to hear how you overcame it. Yeah. Um I started right before 11, April 16th of 01 and uh, 9-11 happened five months later and the market fell out the bottom and uh, business dried up. And I was like, man, well, this is going to be over before it starts. And uh, and, and uh, I, I think I said that a few times, you know, because I mean, it, it, it's tough. I mean, my dad, my dad's number one rule of business. And I wrote all these down in the LinkedIn post, but my, my father, I did this for Father's Day one year because my dad's like my best friend, business, you know, he, he I mean, he's, he's been my mentor through life. And he said, number one rule of business is survive. <laughs> Number one rule, survive. And number two rule is only the paranoid survive. And so we, we, we just, you kind of run paranoid, like what can go wrong will. And uh, it's been a series of challenges, right? I mean, 9 11, and then, then six short years later, uh, seven short years later, Lehman Brothers defaults, the entire economy craters, you know, and then we've had, we had a really nice run uh, for about a decade. And, and then COVID hits. 
and just freaking tanks everything. And I was amazed how many businesses went under or got really close to going under that on the surface appeared very successful and very well capitalized. And when you peered under the covers, you find out that they were not prepared for anything, right? They hadn't, they hadn't really advanced their digital initiatives at their company. So they were playing catch up. They didn't keep cash on hand. I can't tell you how many companies I talk to that don't keep emergency cash on hand. How many doctors I talk to who who distribute all of the profits every month to all the partners and keep $0 in their savings account for their business and who also are heavily leveraged. My father always told me, he said, James, debt will kill you. Debt will kill you. He goes, you use it as a tool. Take out loan. He said, you can take out loans for buildings and land and equipment. Because you can sell the land or building equipment and, and pay off the debt, and you know so sometimes you need to do that. He goes, but even when you do take a loan out, you should try and pay it off really quickly. And that was the Smart best man. thing we did. And I know I'm talking to a banker. Debt is critical. Like you have to have debt capacity, right? I have debt capacity. You have debt capacity. We all have, we have to have debt capacity, but you have to use it sparingly. Because in 2008, we entered the big downturn. Man, I had just paid off all my debt. 2007, we had a good year, first good year. Of <laughs> since 01. I mean, I sucked it up and ate ramen and, and mac and cheese from 2001 to 2007. 2007, I had a decent year. By, by, by now standards, it was still not that good. But, but it was a decent year and I paid off the com- all the debt the company had and all the debt I had. Because I incurred a lot of... Per- what, what people don't talk about a lot is that the entrepreneur often incurs a lot of personal debt. Mm-hmm. To pay for their personal stuff instead of taking a salary. <laughs> and so you end up incurring personal debt and then your company ends up incurring debt. And so I paid off everything. 2008, the economy craters, and I actually had more free cash flow, even though we had a slight revenue decline. I had more free cash flow because I had no debt payments personally or professionally. And so that was the kind of the big turning point there. But, you know, COVID, COVID was a, it was a mess, man. I mean, I, it's the first time in 20 years where I, I honestly, believed it was possible that all of our revenue could evaporate. How's that feed into the paranoid entrepreneur leader? I mean, some... Yeah. And and keep in mind, I always keep multi-month cash on hand for the business, right? And I have no debt and I keep cash on hand. So I was looking at it and I was looking at the reserves and I was looking at my personal reserves because obviously, I'm ultimately, I'm the ultimate bank for the company. So I looked at my reserves. I looked at the company reserves. I called all of our big accounts. <laughs> I was like, okay, I think we can make it. <laughs> but it was the first time when... Because you, you you always assume you could lose some of your revenue, but not all of it at once. And there were so many companies that that happened to. You know, I mean, it was just mm-hmm. nothing, right? And so that, that was a, a pretty intimidating moment. And we did have... We had an event business that evaporated. There were key parts of the business that just disappeared. Consulting stopped almost entirely. Our, our, our custom software dev actually ended up in the end going up. And, uh, and the product business in the end ended up going up. <laughs> so, but, but it took a lot of work and we had to really pivot. I mean, we had to, we had to hardcore, you know, we termined, we, we cut all discretionary spending immediately, like everybody else, everybody to cut all discretionary spending. We tried to sock away money to save up in case our accounts defaulted because we didn't know. Right, we didn't know what was going to happen, and then we took everybody that was working on. And we did not lay people off. I want to point this out. I didn't lay anybody off. Um, and I had people that were idle, and I was like, I'm not letting them go. We're going to figure out something else to do with them. So we redirected them to sales and marketing on the stuff we could sell, and we accelerated sales on that. Cool. And and now we're actually bringing them back on 
and we're having to hire up to backfill because they've been so critical that we now need that that position. And so that that was the thing with COVID was was having to be really quick to reallocate resources. Now we're in this weird thing where inflation is rearing a really ugly head right now. Labor costs are going up. I mean, there, there's all kinds of challenges right now with with the after effects of COVID, and of course with massive government intervention, which is totally messing with the labor markets and the supply markets, right? And so the consequences aren't over. If people think that it's done, it's not, right? It's not. So that's that's kind of the the. I, I, I'm sorry if that's too long of an answer, but no. you know the no, the last perfect. 20 years with this, I, I'd say we had three major, huge, potentially company-ending economic events that we've had to, to endure since we started this. And they were, we, we had to deal with all of them very differently, right? Um, and, and they, and then of course, you know, you have to deal with political change. Like in Argentina, we have a huge office in Argentina. I deal with all, anytime there's a presidential change there, it's going to be a major change in tax policy, which is, and exports and imports and, and currency controls, which it really impacts us. And then we have an office in South Africa and I got to watch their elections too. I mean, there's, you're, you're always watching what what's changing. And so you become an expert at foreign exchange and currency <laughs> trading. And you, know, you have to because it's, it becomes your whole business. You know, Things I never thought I would, I would be, have any experience in. So kind of moving ahead a little bit here and, and man, that, that super awesome insights on, on all of that, you know, but, um, what, what would you say that, that JB knowledge's big, hairy, audacious goal is what's your BHAG? Well, I've done a lot of thinking with this, with my team, because we, because we use EOS to run our business. We've been on EOS for six years. EOS asks you to form a, a core target. And, um, and, and that, because we're, we're really a consolidated Group of companies <laughs> here, you know, like it's a we we have we have a few things we do. We we do consulting and we do media. Uh, we have two podcasts and our roadshow and our publications, and then we have our products and the products are so we have different tenure. We call them core targets in the OS. We have different tenure core targets for each of those business lines. But the core target for our business for JB Knowledge is to build our four pillars, and that's because we I, I had to I really looked at what. I read Bob Iger's biography, uh, um, his 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 uh, book that he wrote, which was just amazing, amazing book on how on his rise through Disney. And you know, Disney's a very very diverse company, way more diverse, way bigger than now. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 smaller than one tiny little toenail of Disney, right? I mean, they're they're massive, but for us, our core target, our ten year goal, is to build our four pillars and. Uh, that is, and I'll, I'll just tell you what they are because it, it'll, it'll make more sense. We want to deliver great service. Like we want to be one of the best service delivery organizations on the planet, right? That's one of the things our outsourcing clients hire us for is that they just are, they love working with us. We want to produce original content. And that's what you guys are doing right now. We want to continue. We, we have almost a decade of producing one of the more influential reports in construction. Uh, we want to keep doing that. We, we, we have two, two specialty podcasts. We have a road show and a tour we do where we go and see all our listeners. We have thousands of people join us on that. So we want to keep producing original content. We want to fuse design and engineering. We want to be, want to be amazing at producing beautiful product. And then we want to invest in products. And that's really... There's a lot of software companies on the planet that, that sell time there's not a lot that are able to successfully pivot in the product. And we've already done it now twice. You know, We've done it twice and I'm attempting a third time to self-fund our own product and keep commercializing it. 
And I'd say that those are our four pillars. So that that is our big hair audacious goal is we want we want to be good at something that's really hard to be good at. And that is self-funding, having an outstanding service organization, and then building product. And I can tell you this, building product is completely different than selling time. I mean, they are opposite ends of the spectrum. And, um, and if you talk to every software guy, they'll all say, well, I, 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 I run a software company, but I really want to have product. Because by, by the way, that's where the enterprise value is because it, it's tied up in annual recurring revenue. And so that's that's our 10-year target. I know it doesn't sound motivating like I want to like one of Peter Diamandis' moonshots where he says, I want to go to the moon, or Elon Musk says, I want to, you know, I want human beings to be a multi-planetary species. I, I don't have something like that. I want to work with my leadership team until I retire. And I want to build these four pillars for the next decade mm-hmm. with them so that all of us can ha- continue to have an amazing place to work because I love who I work with and I love my team. We've been working together a long time and I'm only 40 two this year, I got a lot more road ahead of me. And I like to keep doing this until I'm done. Well, and I think that, you know, I heard so much in in that answer, but really to be able to say these are these are four pillars that it doesn't matter how I structure the business. I mean, realistically, James, you could you could completely pivot into a new industry. And those pillars and the leadership team that you have invested in, not only through attracting and acquiring them, but but giving back and making sure that you have a unified, codified system through EOS of being able to communicate, to be open and honest with each other, and to be able to say, okay, well, we're in this together. You know, th- those are things that that really supersede any specific product, service, or, or company. They are, and my, my I have the world's best integrator. Sebastian Costa, he's chief operating officer, integrator, like just freaking amazing human being. He and I played soccer together in high school and he was an exchange student from Argentina. That's how we ended up in Argentina. He says it best. (laughs) He says a lot of things best. He says, James, we could build boats and we know nothing about boat building. (laughs) His point is we could, as long as we function well as a team, as a company, we can pick the industry and go do it. And uh, the other thing he says that I love, by the way, it's nothing to do with this comment is if one eats rice, we all eat rice. If one eats sushi, we all eat sushi. He is he is so hardcore about everybody being in it together, and he's created he's created that culture. I, I may be the articulator of the culture, but Sebastian's the keeper of the culture in our company. Like he just he's so militant about it in such a good, good way. He's built a, a heck of an operation because I mean everybody works for him. I have one direct report. You know, in EOS the visionary has one direct report. It's the integrator, so everybody works for him. You know. And uh, he's really quite amazing. All right. So if y'all have not heard about EOS before, if you're if you're curious about it, I mean, James, I I know that you are 100% in on it. Chris, you're 100% in on it. Mm -hmm. I think that this is an amazing system. So thank you for sharing. We're going to roll right now and have a break and hear a message from our sponsor. All right, here comes the lightning round. All right, uh, I haven't run the lightning round actually in quite a while. So uh, here are the rules. You have one minute or less to answer each question, and we're going to go through this hard and fast. All right, so let's start it off with the first one. What is your favorite hack? That can be personal, can be business, it doesn't matter. What is your favorite hack uh, that you can share with our audience today? Uh, two books, uh, Two Second Lean. The other one is Atomic Habits. Um, look for a two-second improvement every day. That is the ultimate hack, two hacks. And I do it all the time. I'm constantly 
changing something at my desk or in my closet or in my bathroom. I leaned out my entire morning prep process. I leaned out my sink. So I go there, I finish everything I do at the sink. I go to the closet, I finish everything I do, a color code of the shirts. Like so to me, two seconds. Being a fish in the court really taught you something. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. I still thumb my tuck and align my gig line and everything too. I mean some things never go away, right? Hey uh, don't and so I look for I look for small daily habits I can do all the time that are going to improve my day and and improve efficiency and eliminate waste and fix what bugs me. That that's a quote from Two Second Lean. So that's the ultimate hack is having a system for hacks. And this, to me, the ultimate system for hacks is EOS teaches you how to run a business. Lean teaches you how to improve your life and your business. And th- those are different skill sets. You know, EOS is the operating manual. Lean is the methodology for improvement. And so to me, that's the ultimate hack because that, that's how you that's how you make more money and save time and eliminate frustration, make your life better. Love it. James, what's a, a podcast, a YouTube channel, something like that, that you get a lot of value that you you look at and you get inspiration or you learn from that our audience needs to start listening to? Malcolm Gladwell, Revisionist History. I love Malcolm Gladwell. I love challenging my perspective on history. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a student of history. I love reading history books. I love listening to history books. Dan Carlin is one of my favorite podcasters, hardcore history. Um, I think if, we don't, if we're not students of history, we're doomed to repeat it. And so I really I love that Gladwell relates everything to business, which really makes it easy to, to, to take lessons from history and apply it to your business. Whereas mm-hmm. Dan Carlin just scares the crap out of you with how many times humans have repeated the same mistakes over and over again, largely through... He, he, does, he does war history, which you, know, you as a former army officer, you would love. Uh, he he, he deep dives on on uh, military history, but those are the ones that I, I really particularly like. That I think uh, that I think add a, a whole bunch of value. Um, and I, I I'd say that the one if you like if you like really really short short podcasts that are really entertaining. Micro does um, a podcast called The Way I Heard It, and uh, he harkens back to the to the um, the old days of radio. They're usually eight minute podcasts. I've had I've had Mike on my podcast uh, before. He was one of my one of my guests, and uh, he was at one of my conferences. And so we had him on the show, and he's an amazing guy, and he does a great podcast. Very cool. So cool. So we all know how valuable that the Aggie Network is. Is there anyone in the Aggie Network that you'd like to say thank you to? Oh, tons. Mike Hovel, class of 76. Um, I remember his class year because he would add 76 cents to every check you would write me just to remind <laughs> me what class year. I'm not kidding. When it, when I got married, he wrote me Too a check. Too bad he won 99. I mean, right? I know, right? Uh, he, 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 I think it was a check for 79 bucks when I got married, just to be kind. I mean, you know, <laughs> this man... You know, he he was on the board of the Association of Former Students. Uh, he, the, you know, the big ring behind the AFS, but that was his project. It was, it was his idea, and then he made it happen. He didn't. He got a he got a donor to donate the money for it. Uh, but but Mike Mike's a force, and uh, he was my my third client I ever got. Uh, my first client was Don Crawford, class of '64, the executive director of the Corps Cadets Association, who just retired. It's like a he's like a second father to me. I mean, Don is an amazing guy. Took a risk on me when he never should have. The you know, I, I had I had a bunch of other Aggies that that did business with me when I was 21 when they should not have done business with me when I was 21, but they were taking a risk on an Aggie, and I, I made sure that I did them right. But the ones that really became mentors to me that like poured, like M- Mike and uh, Mike and Don both did this. They would spend just as much time asking me how I was doing and what was going on in my business and then giving me advice as they would talking about their projects for their business. And so they just poured in, man. They just poured in. And I will I will love those men for the rest of my life. I mean, they're, they're still... I still talk to them. I talked to Don two weeks ago. I talked to Mike a couple months ago. I mean, I, I still call them. And, and, and 
I, I don't work for either of them anymore because you know we've moved on to other industries and they but they really took the time. And uh, that's what's cool about the Aggie Network. That's different than than most other alumni networks is that uh, people just give them a, that extra minute, that extra five minutes. I think it also you know warrants though that you not abuse it, right? You, because you know Aggies will do that. You got to be careful how you use that and uh, and 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 guard guard that carefully, you know. But it, but it's really really been quite uh, quite amazing. So James. How can the Aggie Network get in touch with you? I mean, I, I hear in your voice and just knowing you, you, you are you are that open handed type of guy. You, you're the one that's like, look, if I can help you, you know, I want to pull you along. But also, you've seen the power of connecting with other Aggies to help you to help your companies. So, how can the Aggie Network get in touch with you, and how can we support you going forward? Yes, yeah, so the bet. The, I think the. Uh easiest way, james at jbknowledge.com is my email. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. So it's easy to connect with me at LinkedIn, just James Benham, just type that in. And and, I, and you also go to jamesbenham.com. It is easy to get a hold of me. I'm on every social platform. I'm not on TikTok because I hate TikTok, but I'm on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. Uh, and then you know jamesbenham.com and james at jbknowledge.com. It's, uh, I've also got a text line that I use for my podcast. That's my Google voice line. That's 979-473-94. So you can text that 979-473-9040 and uh, be happy to text. So any of those ways, you know, I am here in Aggieland. I never left. <laughs> I uh, I live in College Station. My office is in downtown Bryan. I was on College Station City Council for a bunch of years and I uh, got really involved locally. Um, and uh, I just want to mention I'm, I'm on the Texas Southern University Board of Regents now. Governor Abbott appointed me in October. Give and so back. I want to say not just Giga Maggies, but Go Tigers. Uh, <laughs> I love Texas Southern. It's it's maroon and Maroon and silver, right? So, di- slightly different <laughs> color combination. Uh, my color so palette. Your clothes of, work. Yeah, most of my clothes work. It's all good. I, I go to Houston a lot. They're they're in they're in uh, the third ward, just south of downtown Houston, and uh, they're an amazing, uh, be- beautiful campus with uh, a really historic mission to serve the African American community in Houston. Right? It was an HBCU, and uh, and now now they serve. Of course, they serve all people, but it really amazing school. I've really enjoyed getting to work there. So you can, if you have questions about that, you can reach out to me. As well, but uh, that's that's how people. And you asked how can the Aggie Network assist me? Uh, you know, I love, um, I just love meeting people. Uh, in particular, if you're in insurance or construction, and and you you want to find out about tech or talk about tech, I love talking about that. You know, and 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 for you insurance brokers out there, I already have a broker. <laughs> I'm not moving. <laughs> so, <laughs> so don't. But but my my uh, my 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 point, and he's an Aggie, uh, so I, I work with a lot of Aggies there. Uh, the main thing is. Uh, I always welcome connections. I love meeting new people. I love finding out. If you're a pilot out there, I love flying airplanes. So if you want to geek out on airplanes, feel free to reach out to me and talk about that as well. But uh, I'm, I'm here in Aggieland. I'd, I'd love to visit with folks when they come in and or our offices at 110 uh, North Bryan Avenue, right in the middle of, uh, of historic downtown Bryan. Well, James, thank you so much for just spending time with us today, for providing a lot of insight, a lot of value. I know that the listeners are going to really appreciate this. And if y'all are not connected with James, uh, y'all need to do yourself a favor and, and do that. So thanks, James. We appreciate your wisdom and look forward to talking with you again soon. Yeah, Greg, thank you so much, Chris. Thank you so much, Greg. Of course, thank you for your friendship over the last uh, two plus decades now. Uh, I do appreciate it. Greg you is are old. Uh, 
Uh, I am old. Uh, Greg is the, the entrepreneur's banker, man. And uh, he, he gets it done uh, every day. I've been so impressed with him. Uh, he, uh, and, and so if you, if you have, uh, let me just plug my brother, Greg. He, he moved into this town from being in North Carolina and being in the army and then going to North Carolina and be a banker over there and immediately plugged into town, immediately started getting things done, plugged into the entrepreneur community. Um, he's a banker who actually understands how entrepreneurs talk, and, uh, <laughs> which is amazing. Uh, so definitely give him a call. Of course, Chris uh, runs a great marketing shop and uh, I, uh, I'm super impressed with everything he's done. So uh, make sure you check everybody's businesses out here and, uh, and support, support these guys and their mission. So thanks, Greg. And thanks, Chris. There were some valuable hacks that James shared with us. What was your favorite, Greg? I think that there was two or three that that I picked up on. Of course, you know, I mean, I don't know if it needs to be said, but the bankers, the banker likes the fact that it's really smart to to not have a lot of debt and to have a lot of cash. So to be financially flexible. So shocker, yeah, I know. Shocker, what? (laughs) But really, so so I appreciate that, and and just kind of knowing James as I do, I was really struck again with his openness to to share about his relationship with. With his dad, but also with his other business mentors. And I think that that's something as entrepreneurship today really has become a team sport. And a lot of entrepreneurs seek out mentorship, but to really realize that there are people out there that have been there, that have done that, that have learned how to get through the challenges that that you're going through now. And for you to have the humility to go to them and talk to them and seek their advice and then be able to execute it. I mean, I, I know that with Without a doubt, James's success has a large part to do with the hard work he's put in, but a large part with his dad being his father, but is also his business advisor and mentor. What about you? What did you? I mean, it's kind of hard to narrow it down to one, but what's uh, what's a couple of takeaways you had? Yeah, I I agree. You know, I it's he he threw a lot of stuff out there, and it was a great interview. You know, James is just one of those guys that really knows a lot of stuff, and you know, you can you can sit there all day and pick things out of the air with him. The one thing, if I was going to narrow it down, is is the two second lean habit, right? Of mm-hmm. of making yeah. something, taking something, and making it better by two seconds every single day, right? You know, this is something that athletes are taught to do, you know, to get better every single day that you go out there for practice. And, and I think as entrepreneurs, we get sometimes so stuck in the weeds, right? That our minds, everything, you just get so stuck in the weeds that, that you can't just say, all right, I'm going to make this better. Right. And, right. and I think if, if you just sat down and, and did that with something and, and you and your employees and everyone around you did that, I mean, can you imagine how, how much better that an organization would perform by the end of a year? Right. Uh, just just amazing. So I, I think that's my big one that I'm taking away from this episode and I'm going to take to my organization. Well, Ags, that's going to wrap it up for another episode of Aggie Growth Hacks. We hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you'll leave us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you found us. Be sure to check out our website at aggiegrowthhacks.com where you can hear all of our previous episodes connect with Chris and I, and make sure that you check out our monthly hack shops where we tackle some of the biggest challenges that entrepreneurs have. We talk to an expert and take a deep dive and provide actionable advice on how to overcome those challenges. Aggie Growth Hacks was produced by fellow Aggies Kyle Ackerman and Ben Wiggins with Podcast Architects. We also want to give a huge shout out to a sponsor, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship at Texas A&M University. Since 1999, the McFerrin Center for Entrepreneurship has served as the hub for entrepreneurship at Texas A&M. If you're an Aggie entrepreneur or even a wantrepreneur, head over to their website and find a program that's right for you. 
Join us next time where we connect with another great Aggie entrepreneur and learn how they hack their growth. Until then, I'm Chris Hunter. And I'm Greg Martin. Thanks and gig them. Whoop!